What is going on, guys? I am Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report. It is uh, currently about quarter five on 9-11-2020, a Friday evening, uh, coming at you with episode number 102, I think. Um, we recorded this last night, so, uh, you know, if we sound a little bit different, that's that's what happened. But, um, you know, it, it, uh, you know, we mentioned it in the podcast Um Long time coming. Uh, very special guest Rob Doster was able to join us finally um, after Rob and I had you know multiple scheduling conflicts and, and and you know family things and other stuff just come up and COVID and 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 just his his own personal situations and things like that. So very happy to have Rob. Um, something I've been working on for a long, long time. Um, <clears throat> and we talked about everything. Um, we talked about you know his story. Uh, we talked about his time at NBC. Um, we talked about ACC's and, and Coach K kind of leading the charge to an all-inclusive uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, then we talked about some, you know, most of the teams in the league. Um, I think NC State probably stands out as a team we didn't touch too much on or or at all maybe. Um, but Rob is a, you know, a, a, a plethora, has, a, has a plethora of knowledge as far as basketball goes. And, you know, he has kind of that analytical mind that, that like the guys at Three Man Weave have that that I don't really possess as far as being able to, like I can identify plays and good players and, and things like that. But <clears throat> some of these guys are able to see things that that I just it, it's a level it's a level beyond what I can see or what I like to pay attention to. So um, you know it, it was a it was a treat to to talk with him and hopefully I, I kind of held my own without making him think that I was too much of an idiot, but, uh, we, uh, we put him in the bonus at the end of this episode and it was a really good time. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on the intro, so we'll get right to it before we do that. Don't forget like, uh, rate, review, share, uh, leave a, leave a comment, five-star review on, you know, Apple podcasts or, or Spotify. All that stuff is greatly appreciated. It helps us with the metrics, helps us get recognized, helps us grow our audience. I absolutely appreciate it. Helps us grow as a show, helps us in so many ways that, you know, it's worth your five minutes to, to go ahead and do that. It's free, obviously, so it just helps us out if you enjoy the show that the Chimp and I put on each week or each every other week in the offseason, I guess. But uh, follow me on ACCBR, uh, ACCBR1 on Twitter, at uh, CarryChimp, C-A-R-E-Y, uh, for the Chimp, and then obviously at Rob Doster for Rob. Um, give his Substack a, a follow. Um, he put out a, a tremendous article the other day about how you would make an all-inclusive tournament work, and it ends up, you know, you get three or four paragraphs into it, it gets pretty hilarious. So, um, I don't want to spend any more time in this intro, so here he is, Rob Doster. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock, doesn't get it, five seconds to play, down the floor, a Kogi, Welcome to ACC Basketball Report. Uh, me and the Chimp have a very special guest for you guys this evening. Rob Doster, formerly of NBC, is joining us this evening. Uh, something I'm really excited about. Rob, how you doing, man? I am doing great, guys. What's going on? Just, uh, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of college basketball talk going on recently, which is kind of a pleasant change, though some, some of it's kind of blasphemous. Um, Chimp, how's it going on your uh, side of the world here? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. We uh, we have a uh, big time guest on tonight. Uh, he's uh, mingling with the common folk, as we say. So, uh, looking forward. Hey man, I'm I'm unemployed right now, so I, I think we're all common folk at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, you know, I was a I was a Sirius XM subscriber for a long time. I've actually 
just in the past few years started getting into getting into podcasts, which uh, I'm behind the times and in, in many things, and that's certainly one of them. But podcast is now kind of my main source of information since I've canceled that subscription. I recently found out kind of how you wait you made your way to NBC Sports. Um, can you kind of give us your background on how you kind of made that journey? Yeah, so I uh, I started out. Um... I guess, I mean, I'll take it all the way back to, uh, to college. So when I was in college, I played basketball at Bass, which is like this little Division three program mm-hmm. um, at Poughkeepsie, New York. And when I graduated, uh, I moved to D.C. and I got a job um, at a, like this lobbying firm on K Street. And uh, it was miserable. I didn't want to, I didn't want to like not be connected to the basketball anymore. So uh, in between answering phone calls at the front desk, um, I, I, I just decided I was going to start a blog. And I started uh, this website. It was balling as a habit. It ended up you know, becoming a thing. And after like a year, I uh, gained enough traction that I decided to just kind of quit that job and try to make sports writing be a full-time thing. I ended up uh, getting the job bartending and waiting tables uh, actually two blocks away from the Smith Center on uh, the GW campus. And um, I, I told myself I was going to have three years and I have full-time employment or I was going to go back and find another job. took five, but, uh, you know, it, it, it ended up working out. So um, eventually what ended up happening was uh, I, I was working with this guy named Troy Mack, who was my roommate at the time, and uh, we decided that we were going to go on this, uh, this, this road trip over the course of – uh, three weeks. It was 21 days. We went to 15 games. We made it. We went from Washington D.C. all the way out to Utah State. This was back when like Wild Bill was the thing. Remember him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we we made it out to Utah State for the Spectrum. Like that's the last game that we're going. We we didn't plan this very well. It was the last game that we were doing on the road trip. So we drove all the way back from Logan, Utah, to Washington D.C. Uh, in one straight shot, 36 straight hours. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, that, that's. That was the worst idea I've ever had in my entire life. Like, Troy and I, we almost killed each other. Um, we almost killed ourselves driving at 4 o'clock in the morning in the middle of Iowa in the middle of January. It was just, that was a really bad decision. But, uh, you know, it ended up, um, got the, the, that trip got us enough attention that NBC ended up uh, bringing me on as a freelancer and bringing Troy on as a freelancer. And um, six months later, they uh, decided to let us kind of run the entire site, college basketball talking, you know, the rest is kind of history. That's incredible. I, I've come to appreciate the uh, kind of the the interaction that you have with, with certain other guys, namely uh, Jeff and, uh, and Sam Vecini and obviously Barstool Riggs and you guys are all tight. I like the, uh, like the interactions that you guys have as far as appearing on each other's show and, and things of that nature. It seems like kind of a like a, a pretty cool little four-way that you guys have going on. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a, like a small little insular world, uh, just media in general, mm-hmm. and then like college basketball media overall. You know, every time we go to an event, you know, there, there's so few kind of national writers at this point, and, and even for like some of the bigger programs, there, there's so few uh, beat writers that, that make it out to all these trips. Like everybody knows everybody, man. So when you're at the Champions Classic, it's, it's like – yeah, you get to go cover the game, but then afterwards you're going to go hang out with all the like your best friends in the industry. Sure. You go to the Final Four. Like the best thing about the Final Four, I, fans don't really know this, uh, but like for for Final Four stuff, like everybody shows up on on Wednesday of Final Four week mm-hmm. because over the course of Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, um, like there's just there's so many parties in that city, and they're all hosted by like 
coaches and they're hosted by uh, college basketball coaching agents and they're hosted by um, companies like Intersport and, and, and uh, you know, um, Turner. And, and it's all the, it, you just basically spend the whole time like hanging out with all your friends in the industry, just getting hammered. <laughs> and then you wake up in the morning and it's like nine o'clock and you, you go and you do like whatever media availability you have to do. You get your job done, you get your work done. And then by like seven o'clock, you know, it's, it's on to round two. So it really is just like you're on a, you're on like a little four day bender before you actually have to go cover like the best, the best, uh, the best games of the season. So it really is, um, it's, it's very unique in that sense and that it's very insular and, uh, everybody knows everybody. And it's just such a small world that, you know, it's very easy to become very close with, uh, people that are like quite literally direct competitors with you. Yeah, it's it sounds like a, a paid vacation to do something you love, which is what interests me. It, yeah, it is, man. Don't 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 tell the bosses though. Don't, don't let any of the decision makers <laughs> in on the secret. Um, Stay here with us, right? That's right. That's right. That for sure. Um, you know, you like so many journalists, and we and we've mentioned it already. Have have kind of fallen victim to this pandemic. You know, we've seen cuts at the athletic, SB Nation. Mike Rutherford also comes to mind, um, among others. You know, including yourself at NBC, recently let go from NBC. You know, what do you have cooking now, and how long do you think it'll take for the industry to recover and, and get back to where it was, you know, six, eight months ago? Well, what I got now is um, I started a Substack, which is kind of like, I guess, like the new blog. Mm-hmm. You know, it started out everyone had a blog, and then everyone had a podcast, and then now everyone is going to end up having a Substack. So hopefully, like, um, I'm in at the, the, the start with this thing, but it's uh, basically just an outlet to write, man. It, you know, it's. Um, it's a subscription-based newsletter, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, and most of the stuff that I do, I probably shouldn't say it, but like, I, I give away most of it for free. Just, um, you know, it's it's a way to kind of have the outlet to to write about what I want to write about, while um, also like trying to maintain kind of like a presence. Because the hardest thing is, is you know, when you when you're not working for these companies and you're not at these events and you're not able to like go into the locker rooms and see the coaches or go to the final four and go to these parties and see everybody and be able to talk to everyone face to face. Like there's only so much kind of like a relationship that you can build through text. Right. So the, the, the idea is just to be able to have an outlet where you can kind of stay present and stay relevant and uh, be able to kind of uh, keep a presence in the college basketball space. And, and, you know, there's, we got a couple of other things cooking and hopefully, uh, the next three or four weeks, we'll, I'll, I'll be able to make some of that a little bit more public. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's something that people are really going to enjoy and really be interested in. Um, but for the most part, it's just kind of, you know, it, it's something that I was expecting to happen eventually, right? Like, it, yeah. it, especially at NBC, like, there's no, they don't have any reason to invest in college basketball. Right? Like, ESPN has a reason to invest in college basketball sure. coverage because they have, so many games and, and, and so many different uh, deals with all these conferences, right? CBS quite literally has like a billion dollar a year reason <laughs> to invest in covering college basketball. And NBC just doesn't have that. They, after this season, they're, they're not going to have, they used to have some like Atlantic 10 games and they're not going to even have that anymore. So they don't have a reason to invest in it. So when it came down to a time where they can kind of say like, well, look, we can, um, we need to cut something. We need to, to make some cutbacks. We need to save a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there. The college basketball was the, the thing that was very easy for them to kind of say, well, there's no point in having this anymore. Why are we investing? So uh, it is it is what it is. Um, I do think everything is going to eventually come back. Um, 
you know, there's there's always going to be a marketplace for uh, sports fans that want good coverage, right? Like, they don't just want the clickbait stuff, that don't just want to uh, listen to Skip Bayless over and over again, that don't want to see, like, the TMZ-esque headlines that you get when if all you do is peruse Instagram. So um, I, I do think there's going to be a marketplace for it eventually. Just it might take a little bit of while to build back up to that point. So I was going to bring this up anyway, but a huge shout out to Rob for him basically telling Skip Bayless to go fuck himself. Actually, not basically telling him, for telling him to go fuck himself today on Twitter. It was the highlight of my Twitter day because, you know, as a, you know, an, an aspiring journalist, not not necessarily a journalist, but just somebody who's trying to get a foothold in there at, at, at a late time and where it's time to get started, watching you as someone who is a guy who is a specialist in a certain field that is currently out of work, watching these guys do this scripted, hot take generation, just nonsensical, and they make huge money. What are your feelings towards Skip, uh, Stephen A., Max Kellerman, all that stuff, which it's gotten away from journalism, and it's just hot take and see how much interest in, in and argumentative crap that you can just kind of manufacture. What's your what's your thoughts on that stuff? I mean, I, for the most part, I kind of get it, right? Like it's all it's performance art. Yeah. That's all it is. Like they're they're out there just um, trying to create something that is entertaining and that people want to pay attention to. If you're tuning into um, to first take or whatever the hell the show is that Skip Bayless is on mm-hmm. for any kind of like quality analysis, like I, I don't, I don't know what you're doing with your life because you're not going to get it there. Right. There are so many places where you can actually go and get it. That's not the place for it. Like they're the, the entire point of their job. The reason they get paid what they get paid because they are entertaining. And like Stephen A. Smith, I don't like the way that he does his job, but he is entertaining if you sit there and watch sure. it. Right. Like maybe he's going to make a dumb point, but at the very least he's going to, it's going to be funny or it's going to be something where you're like, Oh, well, you know, Stephen A. That's, that's, that's one way to phrase it kind of a thing. Um, <laughs> so I did it, but like what Skip Bayless said today was just, yeah, there, it's one thing to like kind of be performative and, and um, to, to say something and have a bad take just because you know, it's going to create an argument and get yourself a little bit of attention. It's another thing when you say that somebody coming out about their, the, the mental health issues that they're dealing with, and saying publicly that he dealt with depression because his brother died by suicide. Like, and, and you're going to come out here and say that you don't, you don't feel bad for him. You're going to come out here and say that it's something where you don't, you, 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 you question his leadership. Like that in an era where we know the toll that mental health can take, especially on, um, on young men that are afraid to, uh, maybe admit to any kind of perceived weakness. That's right. right. Yep. Then, then saying something that, that is only going to convince people that it, it, it's not something that they should talk about publicly. And 100% it, like, it doesn't make you less of a man because you go and get help. Look, everybody in life is going, like, life, life is hard, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to have to deal with something and you're going to have to find a way to get through all of this stuff. And we all know that. Some people might need a little bit of help to do it. And there's nothing wrong with needing a little bit of help to try to get through your day and, and, and try to make sure that you're living life the way that you should be living your life. It doesn't make you any less of a human being. It doesn't make you less of a leader. Honestly, I think it makes Dak Prescott even more of a leader for coming out here and, and talking about the things that he's dealing with. Like, sure. if you're in that locker room, you're going to respect him more. And for Skip Bayless, who's never been in a locker room in his life, to get on TV and say that he doesn't he doesn't feel bad for him and, and he doesn't, it makes him think less of him as a like, 
go fuck yourself, Skip. Like, I, I just, <laughs> it's not, it's, to me, like, that's, it's dangerous. It's, it's pretty much the worst thing that you could possibly do. And, and he's harming way more people. Like, a bad sport cake doesn't hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. It, it, it might be annoying, you might not like it, you might disagree, but it doesn't hurt anybody. The thing that he's doing is dangerous, and it, and it could end up hurting people. So, it just, it, you can't do things like that. And and I also, the, I know that people are going to say, like, you should just ignore, ignore him, don't feed the trolls. Uh, for the most part, yes. But in a situation like this, it needs to be called out, and it needs to be made public that it is okay. Like, it, it's okay to not be okay. If you need a little bit of help to get through your day, if you need someone to talk to, uh, if you need counseling, if you need uh, anything you have to do to make sure that your mental health is is exactly where you need to be is the exact same thing as making sure that like you ice your ankle if you roll your ankle right. or uh, you know you put heat on your back if your back hurts. There's it, it just it, it it's mental health 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 and making sure that your health is right is not weak. So uh, funny real quick real quick story going back to the beginning of the pandemic. I'll throw it over to Chimp to get his thoughts on Skip here in just a second. Um, Going back, I work in I work in multifamily construction. Um, you know, we do usually units of 242 apartment units or whatever, and obviously those units come with issues. And when the pandemic first started, you know, I I, I had to go to one of our one of our complexes and address an issue, and they have a maintenance supervisor on site. And I walk in, and I got my mask on, I got my gloves on, whatever, and um, and I knock on his office door and he answers and he's got, you know, he's got no mask on, he's got no gloves on, whatever. He's from northern New York, I believe. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting there talking, we got to go into this residence unit. And we get to, we get to this residence unit and I go to put my mask on, go to put my gloves on. And he just looks at me and he goes, dude, don't be such a pussy. And I'm like, ah, there it is. That, that was the first time I heard it during the pandemic. And I'm like, that's, that's the epitome. That's why guys and people, that's why this won't work is because all males are scared of being called a pussy that... Like you put your own personal safety at risk just so other people don't think that you're a pussy. Yeah. I, I don't know if you listen to Bill Burr, but Bill Burr, one of his things is an unbelievable, uh, <laughs> what are you I'm, not, I'm not going to repeat it here. Yeah. I'm not going to repeat it here. Um, but like he has an unbelievable standup where it just kind of, it, it, it it's quite vulgar, but it, yeah. it kind of highlights exactly what we're talking about here. And, yeah. Using an umbrella know, in a rainstorm. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, Everyone should go listen to that. I'll I'll, I'll let him explain it because it's a, <laughs> I've learned that you know it's not always the best. It's trying to repeat a comedian. Yeah, yeah. Nobody has the <laughs> delivery of Bill Burr for sure. Um, exactly. Chimp, what are your thoughts on Skip Bayless and that whole hot take and and masculinity and things like that? Did I lose you? All right, we'll move on. Maybe he'll call back in. Um, <laughs> he's got, he has phone problems sometimes, so it's not a huge surprise. Um, I guess getting into the ACC, Coach K kind of led the charge on some kind of proposal this week where the ACC floated the idea of allowing all, what is it, 357 teams, Division One teams, into the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously a blasphemous idea, obviously a money-driven idea for the ACC both coaching and and university wise, um, you wrote a, a really nice piece that I read today on your Substack um, about you know kind of the pros and cons and how you would set this up today. I won't give give away the the gist of that, but what are w- were there any pros for you or was it all cons? You know, I think that in theory it, it could be like kind of fun. 
right? Like it, it, this is very much an irregular season, so why not do something irregular and memorable? You know, the part of the college basketball experience is is playing in front of fans and having like you're when you watch college basketball, you're not watching it because it's the best level of basketball sure. you can get, right? Like like you, the NBA, you know, being kind of in this uh, in this pandemic and watching this bubble, it's become very clear, like just how much those guys are unbelievable mm-hmm. and college basketball is just kind of like whatever right so um you don't watch college basketball because it's the best level of basketball that you're going to get you watch it because it's unbelievable environments and these, these kids are you know playing their asses off for, for 40 minutes a night and you probably have some kind of you know you, you like a team for a certain reason whether you grew up in that state mm-hmm. you went to that school you know someone, whatever it is, you know, you, you, you're a fan of the team and you like watching it because these kids go out and play so hard for, for the name on the front of their jersey. But whatever it is, like, that's why people love college basketball. And um, playing in front of those fans and in front of that environment, in front of those student sections, it's not going to happen this year. So you lose part of what makes the experience of college basketball so great. So when, it, when that happens, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to kind of give these kids – to throw them a little bit of a bone, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I don't think that that Coach K proposes or the ACC proposes because they were necessarily trying to like ruin the sport of college basketball. No. Whatever, but it just it, it that's the way that it kind of maybe it's an unintentional byproduct, or whatever. Like I just I hate the idea because it you know it, it already exists kind of in this manner, right? Like mm-hmm. you, if you win your conference tournament, you can get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So everybody, in theory, everyone has a chance to kind of win at the start of the year, even though we know that that's not necessarily true. Uh, whatever. I, I just I think it's dumb and I think it's it's kind of unnecessary. But I, I understand where they're coming from. Um, all that said, uh, I I think a very large part of this is because the ACC is trying to find a way to get out of playing the buy games that they don't want to play anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's no, like the whole model for buy games is that you pay a uh, certain school, like the Duke will pay Utah Valley or whoever it is, $100,000 to come play them because they know that they could sell all these season tickets. They can sell all the concessions when they're in the arena. They can sell the, uh, the ad space in the arena when these games are actually played, they can sell parking for everybody that is coming to the games. So there's ways that you can make money by hosting a game. And if you give a cut of those profits to another school to come play you and cover their travel costs and all that, then, you know, everybody's making money. Um, If there's not going to be any fans, then who's making money off of this? So what's the point of having all these buy games? So it's, it's a way for the ACC to try to get out of these contracts while also being able to generate some money for some of the smaller schools that may have a legal case to say, hey, you signed this and said that we're supposed to get this amount of money for playing this game. And, and, you know, maybe these guys are trying to get out of it. So to me, that's kind of, what's the best way to phrase it? That's, it, it, it wasn't that that whole line of thinking did not go unnoticed by the people that, that proposed this idea. Yeah, it's just self-serving. Really yeah. Yes. Um, there's a benefit for it beyond just that, but it, it, everyone knew that that's something that could, that would be very beneficial to them. Say, say that that idea actually gained traction. Uh, what would be, what would be the, the, the detriment to these smaller schools that rely on those, on those buy games? Would we potentially lose programs at the, at the division one level? Cause those buy games, you know, 
typically fund some of these lower level programs. That's what they depend on to fund their entire program. Yeah, I'm. I'm. We're gonna. There's gonna be a lot of programs that um, that that don't exist next year. I think there's gonna be some schools that that don't end up being Division One anymore. Uh, it's just there, there's a lot of money that gets generated by by college basketball and even if it is very much like a drop in the bucket for a lot of these academic institutions um it's there's a lot of money that gets made by these these basketball teams and these football teams that are not going to be generated um anymore so i do think that there it's we're gonna there's gonna be a fallout from this when it comes to the college athletic space and it's probably a change that needed to happen considering a lot of uh, the movement and, and kind of the, the name image likeness stuff and, mm-hmm. and the idea of amateurism. Um, so it's something that, that needed to happen in that marketplace, but uh, you know, the, a pandemic where the money stops getting generated is a, certainly a very quick way to make a lot of those changes. And chimp you back with us, buddy. I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Um, your thoughts on the, on the ACC idea or the coach K idea that was kind of floated out this week. As far as you know, three hundred fifty-seven Division One teams in a tournament. Well, I, I, honestly, I, I thought it's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. I, <laughs> I, I don't often, uh, hardly ever, agree with Coach K. And the thing that was interesting to me about it was, it seemed to me that he was kind of spearheading this thing, and and the rest of the coaches just lined up right behind him and said, "Okay, this, you know, we're all in this, and this is a great idea." I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so, um, you know, the only I, – I saw somewhere, you know, I, I guess in outline you were looking at pros and cons, mm-hmm. and I was trying to come up with some pros. And there were a couple. One, I guess the money would be distributed amongst all the teams. And to Rob's point, uh, well, I guess my second point would be, I guess the coaches could put it on their resume and say, hey, we made the tournament. Hey, give me my bonus. But right. other than that, I see zero pros, and the cons, there's too many to name. Yeah, I mean, that is that is certainly a part of it as well. I made that same joke that Jim Christian is really trying hard to save his job. <laughs> I saw that. Well, I think, you know, and it's it's it would be interesting to me, you know, the, the monetary value because, you know, for those of you who may not know, there's, uh, and, and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, for every game that you win or every game that a team in your conference wins in the NCAA tournament, you make a certain amount of money off of those wins. That money is then thrown in a pot and equally equally distributed over the course of like four years, starting a year after that tournament ends or something like that. So it's it's monetarily beneficial for the ACC to put as many teams in that in that tournament setting as possible and gather as many wins as possible to then up that bankroll. Is that is that am I on the right track there, Rob? Yeah, more or less. Um, but I don't think, you know, I think that it does help spread the money around a little bit because it's not going to be, you're going to get a lot of wins from um, ACC programs, but if they did it, like in in theory, let, let's say that they um, basically had like conference breakdowns, like you did a conference bubble and that's how you advance to the next round of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Like there would be situations where you had a bunch of major teams winning more games, sure. but there would also be more games. So every win share would be a little bit less. Um, and like the other part of it is the NCAA, like everybody is hurting right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to spend all of this money 
on creating the infrastructure to have a 357-team tournament. Like, the NCAA flies all of these teams private to every game that they have to fly to, right? <laughs> you get chartered. And that's certainly going to have to be the case now that we're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't risk having um, having basketball teams on, uh, on, on like, public flights where they could end up uh, contracting this virus. So um, just think about how much money it would cost to be able to do all of this. And, yeah. and it just – that comes out of the pot that you end up spreading around to – uh, to all the different programs and all the uh, all, all the different teams and all the different leagues, so it just I, I there's no way that it works, right? There's no way that it's going to happen, and I think that Dan Gavin has basically come out and said like this: we're not doing this. It's not going to happen. <laughs> like this is this is a bad. He's, he's probably like, you don't want to piss off Mike Krzyzewski, but he's probably like, listen, <laughs> respectfully, this is one of the worst ideas you ever had. <laughs> yeah, Mister Mr. Krzyzewski, with all due respect. I said, I'll do respect. Go fuck yourself. But no, yes, um, <laughs> more or less. Um, I want to kind of get into the actual basketball now. Um, you know, one of the things I remember from last season, because I always remember when, when people agree with me, I never remember when I was wrong or when I may be on an island. But um, you were one of the only people last year that kind of agreed with my thinking as far as Louisville goes um, on, a, on a podcast you did with Riggs, um, kind of predicting the ACC. You picked Louisville to go to the title game. Um, I picked them to win it all. Um, I guess we'll start with what went wrong with Louisville last year, um, and and what did you kind of expect from them that, that didn't really happen, and 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 what do you expect from them going forward? Well, I mean, the, the big issue was was kind of point guard play, right? Mm-hmm. And that was not necessarily uh, the program's fault. And part of the reason why I was very bullish on them was because I kept hearing from the staff that, like, David Johnson is awesome. Mm-hmm. David Johnson is awesome. And he, David Johnson is going to, you know, this kid's a pro. All, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, that, you know, he hurt, I think, was it a shoulder? I think he had, a, like, a shoulder yeah, yeah. injury and got shoulder surgery in, like, late July. Maybe it wasn't. I'm, I'm, my timeline might be a little bit off. But whatever it was, like, he was banged up, and he didn't really start playing until, I think it was either late November or early December. Right. And, um, and then he wasn't really healthy or in shape until kind of like mid January. Like his breakout game was that game when they won at Duke. At Duke and, yeah. um, so the issue was to me, like I'm doing a, a draft profile right now on, on Jordan Moore because Jordan Moore to me, like when I, I, I watch him, I watch him play. And during the season, I was just like, I, I don't know if this kid's got what it takes to be an NBA player. Like, he can't really handle the pressure. He's not going to end up being a go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very much an issue for that that team, right? Like, it, Jordan Moore shrunk too many times in, in big games, yes. important games, and, and couldn't really handle uh, the, when the defense threw everything at him. Right? He's just not – he's not someone that you go to to go to create a bucket, right? Like, right. he's a great shooter, but he's not someone that's going to go create something for himself. And – um, watching these playoffs, like I'm watching Duncan Robinson, right? And I'm like, why can't, why can't Jordan Moore like do that same kind of stuff? You know, he's he's also six foot seven. He also has some question marks defensively. He's also a very, very, very good shooter that has proven he's a guy that can run off of screens. And I think that's actually pretty ideal for Jordan Moore kind of as a player because like he profiles as a role guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so if they had had David Johnson last year and in the games where they did have him healthy playing his best, 
that would, that took the pressure off of Jordan Moore for having to be a guy that created everything himself. And it allowed him to be a little bit more off the ball. And if David Johnson was there and kind of playing at his best, then I think that it would have been much different. Like I remember having conversations with the staff where they were just like, Hey, you know what? We used Jordan War as a decoy in this game. And we ended up going and winning at Duke in Cameron indoor stadium. So um, it, it would have been beneficial. I think to everybody involved to have someone that could create something outside of someone whose, whose job is not to, or, or whose best role is not to be a creator. Yeah, when he was, when he, when Norris, um, specifically, when he struggled, they struggled. And, you know, Johnson, like you said, he was dinged up for sure. I want to talk about him a little bit. I see a lot of guys, uh, you know, a lot of indies, such as myself, um, you know, having David Johnson immediately elevate to their ACC first teams. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be the case given, you know, where I think of, you know, Jose Alvarado and certainly Kia Clark, maybe Chris Likes. I'm kind of big on Miami this year. Um, you know, I think that he's probably like a second or third team guy this year is his ceiling with, you know, first team possibly next year in his senior year if he returns. I think his ability to shoot is questionable. I think that game against Duke, you, you remember that game, it sticks out in your mind and you say, wow, this kid's a star. And I certainly think he's an NBA player. I don't think there's any question about that. But do you think he's he's at that level right now? Do you think he's a, he's an ACC first teamer this year? Well, I, I went one step further. I have him as a preseason team All-American and a guy that, that could end up being a top 20 pick in the NBA. Like, I think he's going to be one of the breakout stars in all of college basketball. And it's it's because I think part of – you mentioned the shooting struggles. I think part of that was just, you know, when you have a shoulder injury, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes a while to get the strength back in, in your shoulder to be able to shoot the way that you normally want to shoot. But um, I've, I've kind of learned, like, Guys that just understand how to play, yep. that have that basketball like you, and ball screen heavy, heavy offenses that can make all of the reads that they need to make out of a ball screen. Like, just you want to bet on those guys. Yep. And, you know, we kind of seen it a little bit with, like, not to go back to the NBA again, but like with Luka Doncic and the way that he reads the game and he sees the game. I don't want to put David Johnson on that level, but he's a guy that can, like, he, he can make all of the reads out of a ball screen that he needs to be able to make. He can make all of the passes with either hand. And I, I just think that, you know, with a, an offseason of, of development and getting healthy and being able to get a shot right, I, I just I think the ball's going to be in his hands. I think that they're going to kind of let him rock. I think they're going to be a top 20 team. I think he's going to be one of these guys that averages like 15 and 7. And if you do that on a team that is like top 15, top 20, like you're going to be a guy that is considered one of the best players in the country. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Do you think him, him being there – is going to be enough considering, you know, they lost Noor, they lost Sutton, they lost Enoch. Do you think Samuel Williamson is going to give him enough help where Louisville is, is ultimately successful? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, Samuel Williamson is going to take a step forward. Like, I, I, I liked what I saw from him in the limited minutes last year. Uh, they got the kid, Minlin, coming in from, from mm-hmm. San Francisco, who's just like really what you want in that role. You yep. know, he, he can guard, he can make shots, he kind of understands who he is. And he's a little bit overrated in terms of you end up being an ACC. But that kid is still like a really, really, really good player that will take a little bit of the pressure off of David Johnson. Because, you know, he spent the last three years at Radford playing on the ball. So it's not like David Johnson's going to have to do all of this stuff himself. He's going to have another point guard in the backcourt. And, you know, I've made this point over and over and over again. But if you look at the teams that have won the last, I believe it's 10 national titles, all of them have had two point guards starting in their backcourt. Mm-hmm. 
uh, from 2010 to 2019. So that's something that I think is, uh, is, is promising for Louisville. And then overall, it's just kind of, you know, I, I bet on Chris Mack to, yeah. to kind of figure it out. So, um, yeah, I'm, I don't know if I'm kind of like a bullish on them compared to the rest of the country, but I do think that Louisville's got like top 15, top 20 upside. And, and that's because I think that David Johnson has like ACC player of the year upside. Yeah, I've been touting Malik Williams for years now, and I'm hoping that that loyalty is eventually <laughs> going to pay off. So, um, oh man, yeah, look, I, I want him to be better than he is. But yeah, just, me too. I, I don't think it's going to end up happening. <laughs> um, I want to kind of go to something else that we've heard in the off season. That, that it, it it's funny to me because when you have a Hall of Fame coach and they say something that sounds somewhat ridiculous, you watch their entire fan base just get on board without actually thinking about it. And that's that's Roy Williams talking about playing Garrison Brooks at the three spot with you know Armando Baycott at the at the five and and possibly uh, freshman Daron Sharp playing at the four. It, you know I, I get somebody um, sending me a, a video yesterday of of uh, Brooks in preseason practice this year shooting jumpers from out of the three point line and just drill him. I mean nobody's in his face; they're just in practice. He's just out there fucking around and I'm like, see, he can shoot him. I'm like, okay, but. I'm not sure I'm comfortable if I'm a UNC fan with Garrison Brooks out there shooting threes. Do you think there's any chance that, that he plays the three spot on the wing this year? Uh, if it, if he does, like I think that that's probably a bad thing for North Carolina for a couple reasons. One, I think that he'd be the best big guy in that league just yeah. about. I might be I might be missing on someone, but again, he's another guy that I have as an All-American heading into the season. Yeah, he's my so preseason player your, of the year in the ACC. I mean, you take him out of the position that he plays best to put him on the wing. I, I just that that is sounds like something that's not necessarily going to work. Um, and I don't know if you remember, was it was it in 2013? What was the year when they decided they were going to try to make John Henson into a wing? Do you remember that? Oh God, I remember John Henson playing. You know, just as a skinny post, but I I don't remember him playing. Was that early in the season? It had to have been right. There was. What year was it? Maybe it was 2011. I think it might have been 2011. Didn't they try to play Isaiah Hicks on the wing at one point too? It was. I, I don't remember what year. I think it was. I think it was actually John Henson's freshman year. Um, but like there was, there was a time when they decided they were going to try to play him as a three because it just it, it worked better with the the roster construction that they had, and that ended up being like a, a, a total disaster as well. So. Um, you, actually, you know what? I think it was in 2000 and... It was 2009, uh, 2010. He shot 18 threes. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay, so it was his freshman year, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And they had... who was? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was Deion Thompson and Ed Davis, and they tried to play John Henson at the three because... Um, the, the, was that the year that Larry Drew left? I believe so. I he either left and or the he weird, was injured. Weren't the, weren't, weren't the weird twins there too? Like it was that was a weird year where they had all of these big guys and they didn't have any wings. And that's kind of what yeah they had like Will Graves, Will Graves, Tyler Zeller yes, was there. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's what it was. And so they had they had this roster makeup where they had all of these like pretty good big guys and they just didn't have the wings. And like the way that North Carolina wants to build their team is they want two monster big guys yep. up front that are going to pound the glass and be able to get offensive rebounds. They want a point guard who isn't really a point guard. He's just kind of like a gunner that can get up and down the floor and score. Um, they want wings that can make shots, and they want somebody out there that can kind of be like a playmaker 
alongside all of them. So, like, the ideal roster construction, if you are Roy Williams, it was the team in 2017 when they won the title. Mm-hmm. And you had Kennedy Meeks and you had Isaiah Hicks up front who could just go get every single offensive rebound. Uh, you could play Justin Jackson on the wing alongside Theo Pinson, who kind of, like, in the half court, more or less played the point guard role. And then you got Joel Berry, who is your quote-unquote point guard, but is more or less like the, the score and the go-to guy that are going to create a lot of shots. So uh, that's the best roster construction that you could have if you are playing the, the Roy Williams system. And I, I feel very comfortable saying that because when I was in college, we called our offense Kansas because it was basically exactly what Roy Williams ran when he was still at Kansas. Um, so when you look at who they have now, like I, I love – uh, I, I love Caleb Love. I think that he is a perfect fit for the point guard spot for what North Carolina wants to do. He kind of fits the same mold as Cole Anthony and um, oh shit, who am I? Uh, Kobe White. Um, and I love their front court. Like I, I think Garrison Brooks is awesome. I think that Armando Baycott is going to be awesome. Um, they got the two freshmen coming in who I think are both going to end up being uh, if they can be if like Daylon Sharp is the sixth man. Um, coming off the bench up front, and Walker Kessler is playing like the fourth big minutes where he's getting like 12 to 15 minutes a night. Like, I think that might be the best backcourt, not just in, or I'm sorry, the best frontcourt, not just in the ACC, but in all the college basketball. And now you're telling me that you're going to move Garrison Burks to three? Like, it just, it, it doesn't, I just, I get it, right? I understand it because you don't have the wings that you want. Um, but you also have a guy named Leaky Black and a guy named Puff Johnson. Like, maybe just kind of roll with them because they have great names and see what happens. Yes. Instead of playing your best player out of position. That just, I mean, to, to I me, this, this question a Hall of Famer, but just come on. Yeah, man. yeah. I mean, you don't win three titles by accident, but still. Yeah. I mean, we all talked about, you know, a couple of years ago, he, you know, Roy really refused to go five out when Luke May was playing the five, when it was very obvious to everybody that, that was the way that that Carolina team should go, should play. That's what they were built for. And when he finally went five out or, or four out and one in every once in a while, but when you gave them guys that freedom, that's when North Carolina really started to come together. And I, I believe they tied for the ACC regular season title that year, although some people are going to tell me that that title doesn't exist, but whatever. But this, to Was me... Was the year they had Nassir Little? Yes, yes. They, like yep. they tried to put him at the... They, they Try to play him at the four. Yeah. yeah. So this, I mean, this Baycott, Sharp, and Brooks, to me, this is is reminiscent, maybe not exactly the same, as the year they had Bryce Johnson, Kennedy Meeks, and Isaiah Hicks. That's that threesome is 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 kind of reminiscent of, of that, I think. And that that year they should have won the title that year. Bryce Johnson was incredible that year. Um they ended up winning the title, I believe, the next year. But it works. The two big system doesn't work for a lot of a lot of programs in the country, but Roy Williams finds a way to make it work, and I think you just have to play to your strengths. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. Don't take your best player out of the position that he plays the best. It just it's it, it just if you're gonna play someone in the wing, just don't play someone else out there. I think you're better <laughs> off having Garrison Brooks play the four with like Leaky Black at the three or Andrew Playtech at the two mm-hmm. than you are with trying to play. Um, Garrison Brooks out of position. Like, let yeah. your best player do what he does best. Like, that that's where you start. You let the ACC Player of the Year do what he does best, and yeah. then you figure out everything else around him. Yeah, that's you just the way I yeah, see. Yeah, you it. don't no, bring, not a you don't let Jay Huff bring the ball up this year. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't do that. Champ, you're strangely quiet. What's going on, man? 
Uh, this is the portion of the show where I listen to the experts, <laughs> and I think I'm doing a. I think I'm doing a pretty damn good job of. It. If that's your intent, yes, you are, <laughs> sir. Um, I want to get into my guys a little bit. Um, I am a long-suffering Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket fan. Um, I think Coach Pastner has arguably his best team since arriving in Atlanta. Um, possibly the best backcourt in the league. I, I'd say that's probably arguable. You know, what's what's kind of your take on the Yellow Jackets, and what's your expectation from them this year? On paper, I think that they should be really, really good, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say really, really good, I, I mean, like, they should be a tournament team, right? right. Like, Jose Alvarado, uh, love him as a point guard. Um, the the DeVoe kid, I think he can go out and get you a bucket. They got the transfer coming in. Um, who's the guy? He had, like, 35 against Kentucky at Rupp Arena Bubba a couple Parham. years ago. Yeah. yeah, they got him coming in, right? Like, Jordan Usher was a good player at USC. Uh, Kyle, um, who's the other guy they got from Start USC? Start event. Sort of in, yeah. So they got, I mean, they got a whole bunch of guards, right? Like, I, I don't know how the front court is going to kind of all shake out. Like, mm-hmm. that seems a little bit concerning to me. But when you have, like, really, really good guards, you can kind of, like, piece it together with your big. So yeah. I, I think that they probably should be a tournament team. Um, we'll see if that ends up playing out that way. Like, I don't necessarily think Josh Pastner is the best coach on the planet. No. But he's certainly not the worst coach on the planet. And we've seen him have... Uh, pretty good seasons before with with teams that maybe weren't quite as good as this one. So um, I certainly think the expectation should be an NCAA tournament this year. And if they don't get there, it's probably I think it's fair to say that it's, it's disappointing. Yeah, I you know I I also question you know the pivot the five spot. I think uh, Rodney Howard, who transferred in from Georgia and also got his waiver, which everybody's got a waiver. Um, he, I've seen some pictures of Rodney Howard this off season, and he looks absolutely jacked. Um, uh, Saba, Gijabaria, um, the Euro big that they were able to bring in, I think is very raw. It's funny because, you know, some people watch his tape and say, oh, he's, he's an immediate impact guy. I don't see it. I think he's fairly skinny. I, I think he needs time, which Eric Reveno is, is one of the best big men coaches in the country. Um, Jordan Mika, young, undersized, coming off an injury. You know, I think basically, I think you just put Moses right at the five, Jordan Usher at the four, and go three guards with Jose, Bubba, and, and DeVoe. And, and and hope you get enough out of Sturdivant and, and Howard off the bench to kind of make it worthwhile, which, you know, Passion's not really known for going real, real deep. Um, you know, he might go deep as the, as the season kicks off, but as the season progresses, he's going to go about seven deep. So hopefully we can find some production off the bench to, to kind of get them over the hump, I think. I mean, you, don't, you don't need to be deep, though. You need uh, – depth helps you – uh, you know, if someone goes down with an injury sure. or sprains an ankle in a game to be able to go out and still win that game, um, despite not having like your starting two guard or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. And depth helps you. It certainly helps you in practice because you're able to actually, uh, have your star players going up against other really good players instead of going up against walk-ons or GAs or whoever sure. it is. So depth helps in those, um, in those factors, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, sometimes it's better. If you look at Jay Wright's, rosters like he never has 13 scholarships filled with guys that are eligible eligible to play like he'll have um nine or ten guys that aren't redshirting and the whole theory of that is that it keeps everybody happy and it makes sure that you don't have all of these guys sitting on your bench not playing getting mad uh, becoming kind of cancers in the locker room whatever so um, i don't think that depth is necessarily an issue Uh, i do think that it is a problem when you don't have Big guys, like it's, it's one thing if like you're you're we're wondering what's going to happen with like your third big mm-hmm. or like how you're going to figure it out with with Walk Kessler 
as your fourth big at, at North Carolina. It's another thing where, like, yeah, we don't know if they actually have anyone that's any good at center. <laughs> like that's that's a, that's a little bit of a concern. Um, I mentioned before uh, I'm pretty high on Miami this year. I think they have a ton of wing depth or, or wing talent just in general. Um, I am a little bit, you know, uneasy as far as Florida State goes. I think, you know, losing Trent Forrest, losing Devin Vassell is is very similar to what West Virginia went through a couple years ago when they lost Javon Carter and uh, Miles Daxter, or Daxter Miles, I'm sorry. Um, I do think Scotty Barnes is the freshman of the year in the ACC. You know, a lot of people really disagree with me on Florida State. They have him, you know, top three, four, five in, in the league. I know Hamilton currently rolling and maybe has hit his stride as a head coach in the last probably six or seven years. But without Trent Forrest, do you think the, the Seminoles kind of fall back a bit in the ACC? Yeah, I mean, they won the league last year, so and I don't think they're going to win the league again this year. Well, yeah, um, sure. I mean, you 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 hit the nail on the head, though. The the issue is Trent Forrest to me. Is like, I don't know. Do they actually have a point guard on that roster? Like, I've been told they, that Scotty I, Barnes I, is going to play the point. That's that's. I, I can see it. Like he like he's legit, really good, mm-hmm. dude. Like he can really really play. But when you're, I, I don't know if he's good enough to be like the starting point guard on a team that wins the ACC right. could it be the starting point guard on the top 25 team that, that makes the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. Especially when uh, you consider just how good they're going to be defensively. And like, they're going to be awesome defensively again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind of the Hamilton is a machine, man. Like all every single person on that team, like it feels like they're all six foot seven, <laughs> crazy strong, crazy athletic and can guard one through five legitimately. And it's going to be like that again this year. So they're going to be very, very good defensively. I just, you know, I, Trent Forrest was really underrated as a point guard throughout his entire career at Florida State, and I don't know how they're going to replace that. Yeah, and if anybody's not six seven, really, really athletic, they're seven four and can just block a ton of shots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <man. laughs> that, that, he recruits two type of players. That's it. Right there. <laughs> um, your thoughts on Miami? I, I'm really high on Miami. Um, I like the the Brooks kid from Cincinnati. I think that's a piece that they've kind of been missing in recent seasons since um, since Dewan Hernandez was was ruled ineligible. But uh, I think Larinaga kind of brings it back this year. Yeah, you know I love Chris Likes. Uh, the the kid they got coming in from um, Oklahoma should be pretty good. Uh, Nasir Brooks absolutely helps because uh, they kind of you know the, the best Jim Larinaga teams always have like some kind of big guy, big presence in the post and a great point guard that you can put in ball screens. And I think they have both of those things. Um, I don't know if I fully trust uh, the wing talent is the, um, who's the kid they got coming in from, uh, from Stony Brook. Has he got a waiver yet? Uh, the kid from Stony Brook. I know they have Harlan yeah. Beverly out of Montverde. Isaiah Wong is going to be there playing kind of the second point guard. Can... No, the, the, tra- the transfer, um, uh, 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 Olinai. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So I think that if he can get the waiver, it, it, it just helps because that's another, uh, you know, another body on the wing. Um, but I, I do think they're going to miss. Um, who's the who's the fat kid? Uh, Dehan uh, Vasilovich, right? Like, they're yeah, gonna miss him yeah, because <laughs> like that was my favorite player in college basketball. Like, he was a legit fat dude that did the nothing but go out there and jack threes. Like, he was. My favorite player in the country, and not having him on the roster, like huge love. They should have found a way to get him like a fifth year, and then a sixth year, and then a seventh year. Um, even though he already looked like he was kind of like a a ninth year graduate student that had just spent, you know, 
when you live in frat houses for nine straight years, you're going to end up having a little bit of extra padding, and that's kind of who Vasilovich was. So I'm going to miss that guy. Yeah, that kid. You know, when he was a freshman, nobody knew who he was, and you know, true to form for Georgia Tech is. Some kid you've never fucking heard of comes into the game and drills like five or six triples. And you're like, who is this guy? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to shut down Angel Hernandez or whoever or Angel Rodriguez, and this guy steps in and hits five threes, and we lose by twelve at home. But, um, <laughs> you know, for those, I remember who- I was sitting next to a. I remember the first time that I saw him play, I was sitting next to Jeff Goodman at a who, who I can't remember who Miami was playing, but I just remember Goodman being like, wait, wait. Who's this fat kid out here? This <laughs> <laughs> is the first time I've ever felt like I was in shape watching uh, watching somebody play college basketball. <laughs> so, this kid from Stony Brook that Rob's talking about is Elijah Olanai, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, averaged 18 points, 6.5 rebounds at Stony Brook last year. This is an America East team. Uh, 6.5, again, another wing to go with McGusty and Harlan Beverly and Isaiah Wong and Chris Likes and everybody else that they have out there. So... Um, Miami should be able to at least compete better than they have in, in most recent seasons. And I think Larinag is kind of an underrated coach as well. Um, I, I guess preseason prediction, we'll go back to the top of the league. M- you know, my top three was, I, I think, conventional in who they were, but maybe not unconventional in the order. I had Virginia at one, UNC at two, and Duke at three in that in that order. You know, is, is Virginia winning this league a foregone conclusion with Jay Huff coming back? Uh, I think so, but that has more to do with the fact that I don't really know what to make of anybody else in the conference mm-hmm. than the idea that, like, Virginia is full of world beaters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be great defensively, sure. and um, I think getting Sam Hauser eligible is really going to change things for them uh, offensively. Like, that dude can just flat-out score, and he is perfect for both of the offenses that – um, that Tony Bennett wants to play, whether they're doing the uh, their ball screen continuity or they're doing the block remover. Like, he can run off of screens and run off those pin downs, uh, but he can also be a guy that is like can pick and pop and space the floor. And um, he's just a very, very good player and someone that I think is going to be right there with Garrison Brooks for, for the ACC Player of the Year conversation. I have him as first in All-American. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like, you know, when they won the league with uh, – Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, and DeAndre Hunter, they had three first-round picks, right. including the top-five pick on the roster. When they won it with Malcolm Brogdon, they had a first-team All-American that was 23 years old and ended up being, I, I don't know if he won the rookie of the year, the year that he was a rookie, but uh, he was like very much in the conversation. I believe he was the um, first, first second-round draft pick to win the rookie of the year in maybe ever. I'm not sure if that's correct. Yeah, I, that's pretty close. He, he was he was at, the, at least in the conversation right. when it was happening. I remember that. So... Um, I mean, that was a very, very good team that had pros on it. When they won the title, they were a very, very good team that had pros on it. I don't know if they had, like, if Jay Huff was a pro, he'd, he'd have been drafted already. Right. Right? Like, if Sam Hauser was a pro, he wouldn't have transferred as, after his junior year at Marquette. He would be in the NBA right now. So, they're old. They have some really good pieces. I think they're going to be great defensively again. And Sam Hauser is going to really kind of loosen things up for them offensively. But I like I don't think that they're um, they're necessarily going to be anywhere near the, the, the best teams that Tony Bennett has had. Now um, I do think that they're going to win the league because uh, like we have all these questions about how good North Carolina's wings are going to be. We have all these questions about who's going to play the point for Florida State. Uh, Duke, uh, I can't believe we're all this far into the podcast without mentioning Duke yet, but like Duke has a whole bunch of freshmen and mm-hmm. we don't know how those guys are going to necessarily fit together. Like they're, 
their best score this year could theoretically end up being Matthew Hurt. And yep. that is like a significant problem because I don't think Matthew Hurt is all that good defensively. Now, I love Jalen Johnson and uh, the DJ Stewart. I think that's the name. I can't remember yes. his name. The kid from Chicago. Yep. Score. Yep. Like, he, he's a bucket, man. He's going to. He's going to be able to score for them and put up put up points in a hurry, uh, but they're probably going to start four freshmen uh, and Wendell Moore. And we've seen with Kentucky over the years and Duke over the years when you don't have uh, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, or you don't have Anthony Davis and Michael K. Gilchrist in your recruiting class, starting all those freshmen can get a little bit tricky. So uh, we'll see how it ends up playing out. But I just think like. After Virginia, we know what Virginia is going to be, and mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be really good. Not really good like for Virginia, but really good overall. Um, everyone else, like we just don't know what they're going to be. So that's why to me, uh, it's got to be Virginia than everyone else. Yeah, I think you know, and this is we're, we're going to get into Duke right now. You know, I, it's interesting because you know UNC recruiting is is back with a vengeance right now after being down for maybe a little bit prior to the Cole Anthony recruitment. Um, Duke has another monster class led by Jalen Johnson and Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart. But, you know, this UNC recruiting class, you mentioned him earlier, Caleb Love, I think, is a monster just waiting to waiting to burst onto the scene. You know, Jeremy Roach is coming off a pretty significant knee injury that cost him a lot of time in his high school days. Um, I love De'Ron Sharp at, at UNC. You know, these two teams are going to be led by their recruiting classes as far as how far how far they go, I think. I'm not real big on Wendell Wendell Moore. Um, I do think you're correct about Matthew Hurt. I think he's ultimately going to kind of lead Duke in, in scoring, maybe. But I think Jalen Johnson is is incredible. I got him in my first team ACC. I, I don't do national teams, but um, I, what do you think as far as comparing these two recruiting classes? Are these two of the best recruiting classes in the country? Um, you know, it's funny because you match up Caleb Love against Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart against RJ Davis. It, it's funny how kind of comparative you can you can make between these two classes as far as positions and players and things like that and i think they're yeah they're two really really good recruiting classes um but it's it's kind of similar to uh, you know we talked about this with memphis last year Mm -hmm. right at least i tried to make this point with memphis last year they had this great recruiting class but it was because you had these two uh five-star guys that were bullied by a whole bunch of players that were going to be around the program for three or four years right and i think that that is kind of similar to what we got with Duke this year, right? Like, I, I love Jalen Johnson, and I think that DJ Stewart's going to be really, really good, but the rest of the people in this recruiting class, are, are I don't expect to be one and done. Uh, I think you can kind of say something similar about um, about Dayron Sharp mm-hmm. and Caleb Love, and everyone else with, in that North Carolina class is probably going to, you know, hang around for a little while. You know, that's a really good way to to build the basis of a program and kind of get some roster continuity. Uh, but it's not necessarily the best way to have a great season uh, when they're all freshmen. Right. Do you think there's, you know, outside of those top three of Virginia, UNC and Duke, do you think there's anybody in that league that can, that can sneak up into that top three, maybe supplant any of those three? I mean, Florida state is always a threat. And I think Louisville, um, when you have a great point guard, can go out and win a lot of games, but uh, I, I, I think it's going to be a year where it's like Virginia goes 17 and three mm-hmm. in the regular season in the league. And then there's like four or five teams that are kind of in that, but like 12 and 12 and six, 13 and seven kind of a range. So 
Um, I think there's. I don't necessarily think that Duke and North Carolina are going to finish two three in the league, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that they're probably the second third best team at least on paper. Right. Um, real quick before we get finished up with uh, with putting you in the bonus here, um, you know, I guess the last kind of three teams that that I would want to talk about is the difference, I guess, in Syracuse that the Alan Griffin waiver makes. Um, potentially or trying to fill the shoes of, of the departed Elijah Hughes. Um, Virginia Tech with an underrated backcourt in Jalen Cohn and Tyrese Radford. And I'm, I think Clemson has a, start, a solid starting five with Amir Sims coming back. You know, What are your thoughts on any of those three teams as far as whether or not they're tournament teams or not? I mean, I really, really, really like Amir Sims. The best, uh, the best games that Clemson played last year when they kind of let him play at the four mm-hmm. and the five. And I specifically remember the game against Duke when um, you know Brad just kind of put uh, Amir Sims on the perimeter and, and you know let his guards run ball screens and, and force the running carry to make decisions. And you know Aaron Smith, uh, I'm sorry, Amir Sims just tore him apart. Yeah. So I really, I really like him. I don't know. If I necessarily trust the rest of the Clemson roster, I think right. that John Newman's going to be pretty good, and um, you know they do have some pieces coming back. It's just uh, you know when you have guys coming back that are just okay, uh, are they necessarily going to be getting all that much better? So we'll we'll see how that one kind of plays out. Uh, with um, Syracuse, uh, Alan Griffin certainly helps. Um, I just don't know if I trust a Syracuse team that is going to have. Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim playing at the top of the zone. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing about their defense is having all of this length and all of this athleticism. And now you have Buddy Beheim and, and Joe Girard to kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, anchor your defense. Like they better, like those guys better both be hitting four or five threes a game and score right. 20 points if they're going to have a chance to really uh, be great. But it actually might be fun because this is going to be like one of the first times that Syracuse might actually be a really, really dangerous offensive team. We haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like three decades with Jim Bayham there. So, yeah, it feels like um, forever. And then, like, Virginia Tech was interesting to me until they lost Landers Nolly, and now it's just, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, it kind of plays out with them. Yeah, I think, you know, it's – it's I've learned, I guess, not to doubt Mike Young. I think he's got the kid that can shoot in Jalen Cohn. I just don't know if Jalen Cohn can handle the same kind of volume that Nolly handled or um, – oh, shit – the kid from Wofford. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Um, anyway, everybody knows who I'm talking about. But Aluma. Um, yes. Right. There you go. Um, <laughs> no, no, not Aluma. Um, no, the kid that he had at Wofford that just shot it all the damn time. But you know his offense. Oh, Fletcher McGee. Yes. Fletcher there you McGee. go. There you go. Okay. So like you know, Aluma's the kid that transferred to Virginia Tech, right. With him, right? Yes. Yes. That's right. But I don't know if Jalen Cohn can handle that kind of volume as far as shooting from the outside that Fletcher McGee handled or, or Landers Nolly handled. I do like Radford, um, once again, which seems like for the last 10 years I question their front court depth, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, Rob, I guess what we'll do, we'll wrap it up. What we do at the end of the show is the chimp jumps in and he asks you a seven-pack of questions. We call it putting you in the bonus. Um, I do not know what the questions are. They are completely random and it just kind of allows – the uh, the audience to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. Um, some of them are a little bit wacky. Some are a little bit off the wall. We just kind of end the show on a good note. So I will hand it over to the chimp. Well, Rob, I was uh, I was kind of I, I was I was a little soft. These questions are, are quite uh, easy tonight, so uh, you know it shouldn't be that hard for you. Are you ready? <laughs> I, I I don't know if I am, but I'm going to make it work. 
right, question number one. What is your most memorable wager you've ever made, good or bad, any sport? The most memorable wager? Um, I think, for me, it was... When Virginia played Duke in 2019, the game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, like I was all in on Virginia, right? And I think the line uh, ended up being Virginia plus two and a half. And I was all like, I just, I was completely sold on this idea that they were going to go into the Cameron Indoor Stadium and they were going to end up winning. And Zion Williamson went absolutely nuts in that game. And Virginia, like, hung with him for a while. And I, like, I don't know if you remember this, but Duke was switching everything. And it was the first time that we really saw Virginia go away from their blocker mover and go, mm-hmm. like, straight to their um, kind of like their pick-and-roll heavy ball screen continuity offense where all they did was just switch, 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 get Ty Jerome on a big guy, and then let him cook. Mm-hmm. So it, it ended up playing out the way that I kind of thought it would play out. But Duke was up four, like, on the last possession, And DeAndre Hunter came down and at the buzzer, like hit a 15 foot pull up that went in. And like, I had like way, way too much money invested (laughs) in that game. And I lost my mind when he hit that shot because he covered. And like, I I told everyone, like, you have to do this. This is a lock. Like, there is no way that Virginia is not going to cover two and a half points. They might win. You want to have some money on the money line. Let's, Let's make it happen. And, it ended up going in, and it was one of those times where it was like, when you go all in on something in sports betting, like you never, it never works out. For never. You. And that was the one time it worked out because DeAndre Hunter hit that shot, and I'm never going to forget that because, like, I, I would have uh, had a lot of people very, very mad at me if that shot did not go in. <laughs> well, two things: one, there are no locks, and two, the the hook can be good and the hook can be bad, and uh, they let you off the hook that day. So, congrats on the on the W. There. All right, question number two. <laughs> what is the last fight you were in, and did you kick the shit out of the guy? <laughs> the last fight that I was in, um, it was, it was, uh, see, like, I never really, when I was bartending, we never really got in a fight. We just kind of, like, threw people out, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, you don't want to, when they're all drunk, like, you don't want to, like, fight anymore. When when you just kind of, like, guide them to the door. Um, but it was my, I've told this story on the podcast before. It was, uh, it was my junior year in college and, um, we had got like something happened at the, like our little neighborhood local bar. Someone got in something with somebody. Um, and like, I remember turning around, like we, we all kind of left in two groups and I remember turning around and I see my buddy that he's on his back in the middle of the street with someone just kind of like punching him in the face. And, um, I remember turning around and just splinting at him, and, like, all hell broke loose. And it was just kind of like one of those typical college street fights where you just have a bunch of people, like, running around the street yelling, screaming, cursing, all drunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one image I have in that fight is a buddy of mine came running full speed and, like, threw, like, a full-on haymaker at someone and completely whiffed, <laughs> right, just right over the top of his head. And he rolled on the ground, like, three times. Um, and when he got up, his momentum was still carrying him the other direction, but he was trying to run back to the fight. And he stands up and he runs. And you know how in uh, in cartoons when someone like really tries to get going and running fast, like their legs just start spinning in circles and kicking up <laughs> dust behind them. I just remember seeing him do that, and his feet just started. It was like a dog trying to run on a on on um, on a hardwood floor, and his feet just started spinning and, and kicking up dirt behind him. And I was like, what? 
what in the world is going on right now? And, and that's the that's the one memory I have from the fight is, is just the, the feet spinning and dirt kicking up behind it. So that sounds, sounds more like a melee than a fight. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was kind of all of the above. Um, but it was, you know, I'm I'm like I'm like six three and two hundred twenty pounds, man. Like people don't, I, I I'm I'm bigger than a lot of people that I run into. So I'm also like five come. years old now. So it's like the, the, the whole fighting thing. Like I can't. It's hard to justify it at this point. Yeah, it really is. To tell your wife that you got in a street fight at 35, yeah. <laughs> like, why do you have a black eye? <laughs> All right, question number three. I noticed that you just did a scout on Isaac Okoro, who I love, by the way. Uh, give us the scouting report on 6'3 guard out of Vassar, Rob Doster. Uh, Fletcher McGee. A bad <laughs> volume shooter, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, what? I, I like Marshall Henderson, I like a little bit better, oh, minus you. the Coke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, well, that's a, that's a good comparison. That was a quick scouting report there. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've thought a lot about it, and it tells a story. So, all right, question number four One of the Beastie Boys attended Vassar College. Which one was it, and why was he expelled? Oh man, I know. Um, who oh, who was it? I'm never going to remember his name. And wasn't it like all that called with drugs or something like that, right? Well, it was Mike. It was Mike D. Mike Diamond. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And he threw a keg out of a nine uh, off the ninth floor of a dorm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Yeah. I really, put, I really put some research into that question. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know exactly which dorm it was because there's only one dorm that has nine floors. It's Jewett, <laughs> so it was definitely he definitely threw a keg off of Jewett, and it's hard. Like Jewett was the one dorm that was really hard to get. At least when I was there, that was hard to get kegs into because it was the like it was the newest one. So they had a front desk that you had to check everything in at, and it was probably I'm guessing it's probably because. Mike D one time threw a keg off of the ninth floor. <laughs> so they wanted to make sure that there were no more kegs getting thrown. I hear you. All right, question number five. What has been your worst experience on an airline flight? All right, so coming back from Hawaii when my son was 20 months old, we flew from Honolulu to the Atlanta airport, which is like eight and a half hours on a plane. And my son the whole time was un believable like he was just sitting there watching his ipad he was smiling he was flirting with all the the old ladies in the plane around us just a, a complete dream for what you would want a, a less than two-year-old to be when they are on an airline flight as soon as the the fasten seatbelt sign goes on uh, for when we're landing when they're like shut off your uh all of your electronics and put your laptops away and seat backs to the upright position whatever it is like, as soon as that happens, he projectile vomits four times what used to be strawberry yogurt all over me, all over the seat in front of us, all over my wife, all over our carry-ons that are on the ground in front of us, and immediately starts screaming at the top of his lungs crying. And I'm just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I cannot believe that this just happened. So the my wife just takes him to the bathroom and is like, I'm... The uh, the stewardess is like, you, you can't, you have to sit down, you can't do this right now. And my wife is like, you want to make me? 
Come on, come try to make me. So she takes him to the bathroom and cleans him up. Uh, and he comes back and he's still crying. Like he, he's clean. He's got the, we got it like changed out of the clothes, but he's still crying. And, and this woman in the seat next to me across the aisle just taps me on the shoulder. Like the, the one shoulder, one part of my body that is not completely covered in what used to be strawberry yogurt. And she's like, you know, sometimes kids cry because their ears pop when the plane lands and I never wanted to hit a woman as badly as I wanted to just hit her. Like, like, okay. You think, you, you think you're helping the situation right now by telling me that, that in this moment, you really think that that's helping the situation. Oh, I was so mad at her. Well, I guess the bright side, it didn't happen mid flight. So, you know, that, you know, that's, honestly, that's, it would have been better because we wouldn't have had to like, I, I couldn't go anywhere. I just sat there in, in, in the pew. Like, what, what, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> that's rough that's a good story all right question number six did a little research on this one as well read uh a story you were interviewed for all right would you rather be billy clyde gillespie's personal assistant for a year or would you rather move to north korea for a year <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh you know what i would rather be i would rather be billy clyde's assistant for a year um, because, you know, at least you could fight back and then you just get fired or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, So I, I think I'd rather be his assistant, because if you go, like, fight back when you're in North Korea, like, you're never coming back. You know, I, Billy Clyde, like, he, he's an asshole, but, like, he, you're not going to you're not gonna die if you fight him. And I know that's a fact, because uh, they're, they're, I know of a coach that did fight him. Um, so, uh, funny story, after I wrote that, I, I got I got prank called. I'm not going to say who it was, but I got prank called by um, by, by somebody that at one point in their life uh, worked for Billy Clyde, and uh, they called me from a number that would have uh, that showed up from the same area code. It wasn't his number, but he called me from it was like a um, a, a group call, and he called me from a number that would have been uh, the same area code that Billy Clyde is currently in right now. Whatever, what is he at Tarleton State? Mm -hmm. uh, so he called me and um, he put on his thickest Texas accent and uh, tried to convince me that he was Billy Clyde and had me going for about eight minutes. I thought it was, he was like, <laughs> when I see you, I'm going to have to fight you. And I was like, I, well, Billy, I guess we're, we're going to have to fight. I'm big. So, <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it past Billy Clyde to, to maybe drunk dial you either. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It was like 10.30 at night. I was like, oh, man, this asshole's drunk, and now I'm going to have to deal with this, and now I actually have to go out and fight Billy Clyde Gillespie? Like, <laughs> it's gonna be, that, that I was, was, I was like, this is going to happen in front of people. It's like, yeah, if I ever see him, it's going to be at a situation where there's a lot of people around. So it's like, do I really want to fight Billy Clyde Gillespie in front of a lot of people? You know, he's, he's old. He's probably going to be drunk. Like, I think he just, didn't he just, like, beat cancer or something? Like, do I really want to fight like an old drunk cancer survivor in front of everybody that I know in this business? I don't. That's a lose-lose for you, Rob. Either you, yeah, you beat I your really ass kicked by a drunk cancer survivor or you beat the shit out of a drunk cancer survivor. Yeah, like, <laughs> what, like, what, are you, what are you supposed to do? Like, if he keeps coming, you gotta like... Oh, man, I was really nervous about that for a second. I really thought I was going to have to fight with the Clyde Gillespie. Luckily, it was All right. Last question. Which current college basketball coach would you let house sit and babysit your kids for a weekend? Scott Drew. Like, I'm not even thinking twice about it. Scott Drew. Huh. I've never I've never come across a person that is more, like, positive 
and always always smiling and always in a good mood. Like every time I get a text from Scott Drew, there's like three like smiley face emojis or like the the making the muscles emojis. Like he, he just he's always positive. And I got to imagine that Scott Drew, if he's always positive, he's probably pretty good with kids. You know, I feel like he's probably trustworthy enough where if I put him in charge of an 18 month old daughter, like for a weekend, you come back and that 18 month old daughter is still going to be alive. And when you, when you let other people watch your kids, like that's really all you're looking for, right? Keep them alive, make sure they don't eat all of the candy. And I mean, that's basically it. There's nothing else. There's no, there's no in between. You just want to get your kids back alive. Well, that was a very, as a quick answer and a good answer, uh, Coach. I want to ask one bonus question, if you don't, if you don't mind. No, I, I have a, I have a follow up to that to that question you just asked as well. But go ahead. Uh, does Matt Norlander know more about music or more about basketball? Music. No <laughs> question. Music. I agree. And, and he knows, <laughs> like he knows, um, he's not, he's not going to like break down the X's and O's of a game, but mm-hmm. like he he knows enough about it. Like he's not. There's guys in this business that don't know what they're talking about. Like he's not he's not dumb by any sense, uh, but I like he knows so much about music. Like that's the thing. Like if you want to tell me like what you see an expert in, like he's good at his job. He is an expert when it comes to music. So, Go ahead, coach. Well, the follow up I have is, and Rob, I don't know if you recall, there was a story. I don't know who released it. It may have been CBS um, a, a few years ago where. They did one of their anonymous, um, whatever polls, and it came. You know, which which college coach do you think is the dirtiest? And a lot of people said Scott Drew. And I remember reading some of the comments out there that said, you know, he puts on this fake persona about being super religious and super positive and being a super nice guy. And I I kind of took that as as kind of gospel, but it sounds it, it sounds like your your experience with him is is that that persona is who he actually is. Can you speak on that a little bit? I I think that it absolutely is who he actually is. And, like, the thing about it is people that are like that, if you don't really know them, mm-hmm. and you don't get a chance to actually speak to them more than just, uh, you know, passing acquaintances or whatever. Like, he can kind of come off as um, fake or fraudulent or whatever. So, like, I, I understand why there are people that, that interpreted the way that he, he acts and the way that he carries himself that way. But like I, I mean, speaking with players that have played for him and people that have worked for him, like I just think that's who he is, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's just it's 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 what his personality is, and you know, maybe it rubs people the wrong way, and uh, you know, I don't really have any inside info on on what he is as a recruiter, yeah. uh, but I would say that like if you look at what he's done since he got Isaiah Austin, like he just just this year mm-hmm. got his first two five stars since Isaiah Austin, and now yeah. he's got the best probably healthiest program in all of college basketball. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I just, I, I've, I've only positive things to say about Scott Drew. Yeah. For, for whatever you, reason, that, that, that story sticks in my mind. Like every time I see him on TV, every time somebody mentions him, that story is, is what I kind of go back to. And that the story and the, the narrative of that story just really doesn't fit kind of what you're seeing on television or what people are saying about him. So, yeah, it's funny. People for a long time said Scott Drew couldn't coach. Right. Look how that kind of turned out. Yeah. Well, Coach, if we'd asked one more question, we'd have had him in the double bone. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Rob, I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's late, but uh, I'm glad we finally got this podcast done. So uh, I, I thank you for your time, and I thank you for coming on the ACC Basketball Report. Yeah, I mean, people people don't realize this, but like this is like, what, the fourth time we've tried to get this done? Like one time I fell asleep when I was with yeah. my kids. Like it's, it's been... 
it's been a process trying to get this connected, but I'm glad we finally did so I could ask, answer questions about throwing kegs out of windows <laughs> and getting in street fights at Vassar. Yeah, I think the first time we tried to get it done was like last December, and it just it just hasn't materialized till today. But I'm glad we finally did it, man. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, guys. All right, have a good Thanks, day. Thanks, Rob. All right, guys, good times there. As, as Rob alluded to at the back end of the of the conversation, that that uh, that interview was a long time coming. I think uh, you know, looking back, the the first time I texted Rob was back in December. And uh, we we're gonna do it, gonna do it, gonna do it. Um, you know, he's got you know young children, so gotta wait till they go to bed. And I, I think he, I think they were, you know, obviously they were even younger at the time. They're still toddlers now. So at the time, he was kind of <laughs> gathering sleep when he could. Uh, fell asleep. Um, I'm not exactly a night owl, so I I went to bed myself. I think we rescheduled again. Um, COVID happened. All shit. You know, all, all hell broke loose. Um, we rescheduled again. And then, um, unfortunately, he he lost his job with NBC. So obviously, that you know that has a, a tremendous impact on his family. So we postponed again. Uh, and then he reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and we got a schedule. We finally got it done. So, um, I mean, good times. I you know it's an interview that I've been looking forward to. I listen to Rob's podcast very frequently, and uh, you know he's a guy that I really admire. And um, uh, you know, uh, the chimp. <laughs> Was 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 content to uh, just kind of kind of let us roll and then come in at the end and uh, and and add some levity to it, which he always does. Um, I wish he could have got more involved, but he was having some trouble with his headset throughout the interview, so that that kind of sucks. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I have David Glenn of ACC Sports uh, coming on Sunday, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then we had to reschedule uh, Candace Cooper for next weekend, so she will be on uh, not this Sunday, but. The, the, the following Sunday, and we'll get that out to, to you guys as well. Um, after that, we'll probably take a little bit of a break until we get into um, kind of the season preview stuff in, in you know, maybe mid-October, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just going to just gonna take a little break and get ready for the season because it looks like the season's going to start about third week in November. So really looking forward to that. I don't know if it's going to be a bubble situation. We don't know what things are going to look like, but it looks like we're going to have a season. So I hope to see you guys, uh, you know, Sunday, Sunday night, Monday, the new podcast will be out. And uh, we'll do a couple more and then we'll take a short hiatus and then we'll, we'll be in basketball season again, guys. So hope you appreciate it. I look forward to bringing it all to you guys later.